Welcome back to Thanks for Your Concern. You're here with Bernie Say. And I'm Ella. This week, I'm super excited for our guest we have on Ross, who is not only a licensed therapist, but is also a stand-up comedian. And I'm really excited to get his hot takes on a lot of things. We're talking about toxic masculinity, mm. attachment styles, mental health in general. I'm hyped. We love those. All right, let's start the show. So we have Ross here, and we're just going to ask Ross, will you just go ahead and introduce yourself? What are you about? What do you do? Everything. Yeah, what do I do mainly right now is eat entire sleeves of Oreos in my house mm. by myself. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, I, uh, I am a licensed therapist. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I specialize in particularly men's issues. So my clientele is 100% men, particularly young adult men, working primarily with, you know, of course, like men's issues around relationships, codependency, narcissistic abuse. But also I branch out into specializing about like a video gaming disorder and social media disorder, internet internet addiction, all that kind of stuff like that. On the side, I have a little side hustle that I'm trying to do right now just because comedy is like not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and unless if you're like in Texas or Florida and I don't I, yeah. I don't feel like hanging out with I don't feel like hanging out with the Joe Rogan crew down there. So uh, <laughs> shots fired. So yeah, because they keep calling me constantly. They're like, move down here, Ross. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> I'm like, no, Joe Rogan, stop calling me. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I, I've started dabbling in like voiceover work and voice acting and stuff like that. So that's been pretty fun. Little little COVID hobby thing that I've been getting into. But bread and butter, still the therapy stuff. Yeah, awesome. So me and Ross became friends doing comedy in Seattle. I don't talk about stand-up comedy that often on the podcast because I haven't been doing it. But yeah. I really love when comics can make jokes that are not... I'm not even going to say offensive because I feel like that's not the right word, but are just kind of like vile you know like Mm. anything goes in some of these comedy rooms and it's some a lot of it doesn't fucking fly with me so (laughs) i kind of like get attracted to the comics that actually make jokes that are based on not rape and fucking murder and bullshit so that's how me and ross know each other and i'm so excited to have you on the podcast i appreciate that you're right i i didn't really corner the murder market in comedy like i I didn't really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get that into that niche <laughs> you'd be surprised like how much of it there is so let's just jump into it so you call yourself like your self-proclaimed recovering nice guy what does like yeah. the nice guy mean to you all right yeah so since we're kind of talking about the topic of uh toxic masculinity today there's uh, i think there's uh, i think like what do you think of when you think of toxic masculinity when i think of that and what i think generally people think of they think of like uh, you know, the gym bro or something like that, or the guy that will just like always have to need ha- to have his voice heard in some sense and just like talk over people or something like that. Like, like what, is, what do you suppose? Uh, I'm, I know I'm answering your question with another question, <laughs> but what do you feel is the definition of toxic masculinity or the, or the, or the regular definition of it? I always feel like it's 
something that holds people back like when I think of toxic masculinity because usually like when men can't talk about their feelings or can't don't know how to communicate their feelings I feel like that holds like them back from being in better relationships and friendships so that comes up and also just like machismo yep 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 the the machismo Mm -hmm. yeah that's a big one right there Yeah, yeah I think for me is that whenever I talk about feminism to a man who's not that doesn't really it doesn't click with them or doesn't or they don't get it and i'm just saying you know actually feminism would is good for men because if you think about toxic masculinity like we can talk about how gender standards and norms for men being pushed on men is a lot of pressure and also Mm -hmm. it creates problems for men and unfortunately when you frame feminism in a way that a man can relate to they're more likely to jump on board so Mm -hmm. that's definitely like what i think of when i think of toxic (laughs) masculinity Yeah. Yeah. The one way, because a lot, all, I don't want to say all, but a huge part of toxic masculinity is shame. Mm -hmm. And the way to kind of get a man away from toxic masculinity, you can't use shame. And that's why, like, a lot of men go into like defensive stuff around feminism is because they feel shame around it and stuff like that. So the, the nice guy syndrome is basically kind of what I was because I would see the kind of machismo dude. And, you know, I, I grew up in like, a different kind of household. Like my, well, my father was a military guy. My mom is an alcoholic and stuff like that. So feelings weren't really the thing in the household. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kind of took on the role as like a peacekeeper in the household. It was just like, kind of be quiet, follow the rules, do the right right things, get the good grades, don't make any noise. My sister, she's the cool one. She made all the noise. She was like, (laughs) she was like 14 and getting busted, like drinking and stuff like that. (laughs) Like she had the fun life. And I was the very much like, just like quiet people pleaser. Like, let's just keep the peace here and stuff like that. So if I did that, I learned, okay, that's how I get love or that's how I get, uh, you know, affection or that's how people, you know, are okay with me. If I ever expressed any sort of like anger or anxiety, like it couldn't be handled, like my parents couldn't handle it basically. So I learned at a pretty young age, as do a lot of, you know, nice guys do, is to just shut the fuck up, you know, mm. and and do the nice things and give and give and give. In adulthood, that translates into, oh, if I want to date somebody or if I want to be in a relationship with somebody, I just kind of give and give and give and give and give and be a nice guy and just like, hey, I'm I'm not like the other jocks. I'm like I'm not the machismo person and stuff like that. But when that isn't reciprocated, basically, because I'll get into this later, there's hidden contracts that come in with this. Mm. It's like if that's not reciprocated, then the nice guy gets resentful. The nice guy gets pissed off. The nice guy starts being like, you motherfucker. Like, why the fuck? I did I did, I did, I did all the right shit. Yeah. I followed all the rules. I was a good boy. And now you're not giving me the love that I deserve. Fuck you. And that's when the anger in the nice guy comes out. That's what a nice guy is for the most part. That's really interesting because yeah. I feel like I date usually the other side of toxic masculinity, just in my experience, like the very like big, strong guys. And I don't know, it's a really interesting like dichotomy that it's like you can't even you can't be the other side because the other side there's also shame around that, I guess. Around like being the nice guy or being. Well, it's just like you can't win, you know, definitely not. <laughs> and and they both come from areas of shame and they both come from areas of, you know, different ways of experiencing emotions and trying to get love, basically. You know, one person is trying to get it through hyperaggression and that kind of hyper machismo. The other person is trying to get it through 
you know, being the peacekeeper and being the giving person and stuff on those lines. I mean, both are kind of doing their own thing and they come out and, you know, and they're both coming from a place of kind of insecurity. So that's, and it causes problems for both everybody involved, basically. I mean, this is, seems like amazingly self-aware of you. And I was just wondering <laughs> at what point in your life did you realize kind of the toxic side of just being the nice guy all the time and some of the anger when you weren't getting the response you wanted? 2020. the year of reflection (laughs) yeah yeah it's like yeah a lot of people in 2020 were like i'm gonna learn guitar i'm gonna learn a new language i'm just like i'm gonna i gotta figure out myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's just like i better learn some stuff about myself going forward once i get out of this you know once we kind of get out of this and we can kind of see people again because i was running into a lot of bad situations in the dating world and in relationships and stuff like that and it was like, why does this keep happening? Why why does this keep repeating and things like that? And it's like, it, it kind of came to this awareness of like, it can't be all them. It can't just be all the women that I'm getting involved with or something like that. Like there is a common denominator here and it's me. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a very similar realization maybe two years ago where I was like, why does, I will, I've had some bad luck. I've had some shitty people, but I've kind of like, realize that like I also just stayed in shitty situations and that was on me and kind of realizing why was I staying and this kind of goes into our next thing where I have a super uh, anxious attachment style and it can come off as like crazy sometimes because I need like I was just feeling like I need validation from people and it would just manifest in ways that I didn't think was crazy that in my mind felt really reasonable. But looking back Mm -hmm. on it, I'm like, that is really intense way to approach a situation so early on in a relationship. Mm. And my first like this is I'm currently in my first like successful relationship. And I feel like part of it was just me realizing like it doesn't have to all happen at once. Things can happen slowly. Like it doesn't you don't if you need validation in the relationship to the level that I felt like I needed in other relationships it can't be successful because that's just way too intense when you're getting to know someone you don't need like a fucking marriage commitment within right. the first week of dating someone like Barney right. say will tell you like I would come home and I'd be like oh my god this is it we're gonna get fucking married and I like wanted like to have these big like are we going to get married? Where is this yeah. going? And I wanted the reassurance from a guy, but that's really intense when you're going on your third fucking date. So taking a right. step back and being like, you know, it's okay. Like, let's just go with the flow, like figure this out as it goes along. Really now, helped me. Now I, I'm also uh, like very anxiously attachment and stuff like that. So where did you have a pattern of getting involved with like very avoidant people and emotionally unavailable people? Like, did you have that kind of pattern? She's she's nodding her head. I'm, well, okay, we're both we're two in the same. I just I'm a little more quiet. I mean, when you say that you were like a peacekeeper, I'd relate with that. I was very like quiet growing up, and I held a lot of my feelings to myself. So I also right. have like codependency issues and nervous attachment. But I was just very good at being quiet about it and being like don't freak out like just wait just wait just wait but that doesn't mean that it wasn't like giving me anxiety so I think both Ella and I were like super into boys that basically did not want to be with us (laughs) right and I did the same thing like I was just like I would chase people that were very unavailable Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it, 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 it recreated that kind of you know trauma kind of response of just like why don't they love me like mm-hmm. why 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 aren't they giving me the love that I want and just like just keep chasing 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 that kind of stuff and yeah it just it after a while you have to kind of wake up to that a little bit 
And um, I would just like say to listeners, like you can definitely just look up attachment styles and maybe, you know, definitely look into it. Cause I think until I had like a name for it and really realized that this was a pattern of behavior, this wasn't just a me thing. It was real, it was way easier to solve when I like had a roadmap to figure it out through therapy and also through just like my own education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. I, I run into, so I feel like I'm in an in-between phase. I'm glad that you're like in like a healthy situation right now <laughs> and stuff like that. But like, I feel like I'm in an in-between phase where like, I've just started kind of dating again, you know, cause I took basically all of 2020 off Yeah. and I'm finding now if I go out and meet somebody or if I go on a date, I am still pretty attracted to very like avoidant people hmm. and I'm still, and, and, but those avoidant people are often very like they themselves can be pretty disorganized or chaotic. And that gets, that excites me. But like, if I go out on a date with somebody that's just like, I it, like, it, and there's nothing wrong with these people, but if I go out on a date with somebody and they're just like, I work in HR and then I go home and ride my Peloton bike and then I watch Netflix and drink a glass of wine. I'm like, that's fucking boring and I hate it. <laughs> but the person that's just like, you know, the person that I get really excited about is the person that's like calling me at 3 a.m. because they ran out of gas by the airport. And I'm just like, I'll be right there. <laughs> it's like, that's, I'm still like into that shit. <laughs> You know, I can definitely relate. I think that I've been thinking about relationships in the way that like sometimes that I'm attracted to like more chaotic people versus someone who's like more reliable, maybe stable and more calm. And how as like me being a chaotic human being, I really balance out with somebody who's a little more mellow. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I just wish they wanted to do all this shit like at once. But then I realized like a relationship is more of a partnership rather than like mm -hmm. if I was with another very chaotic human being, I think it would be too much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we confuse chaos for excitement sometimes yeah. in relationships. And romanticize you know? it. Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely what I did uh, a lot. <laughs> it's fun. Like, that's why, like, I, I'm, I mean, again, like, I'm, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, like a former comedian or something like that. And I feel like that when I, you know, and if I hang out with comics, like, we can banter, we can kind of do bits we can kind of go and tell like dirty jokes and fucked up jokes to each other. And it's a fun time. So, but like the regular population isn't like that mm -hmm. a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've noticed that I will kind of test people sometimes with sense of humor and stuff like that and be like, okay, are they willing to go there with me? Cause mm -hmm. I feel like I need that, you know, I need that kind of person that can kind of, you know, go and let me be, have my like dark and A dirty sense of humor and stuff like that. But not too much. Yeah. And <laughs> That they'll, they'll they'll accept me for that. The 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 irony of that statement is the 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 last person that I was able to do that with is the reason I'm in EMDR trauma therapy now. Oh. So, <laughs> it's like, so it's kind of like, hey, what's EMDR? Uh, I don't fucking remember. Okay, but, <laughs> you want to explain it? It's it's it's. I, I forget, I forget what it's like, eye movement, desensitization, mm -hmm. rapid movement, something mm -hmm. like that. I forget what it is, but basically what it is, is you look at the screen and the therapist moves their fingers from one side to the other. And you think about traumatic events or things that create a certain traumatic, uh, emotion inside of you. 
And the idea is that it kind of rewires your brain into being like, oh, this is just a memory. And it kind of loosens that idea of this is a memory tied with really painful emotions. And so um, it, it kind of helps free you from the painful emotion tied to memories. It's science. I'll look I don't into get it. it. That sounds amazing. That, that sounds, sounds like great. something I could use. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's a it's a, it's a cool experience. Hey, by the way, I'm a therapist, and every therapist is also in therapy themselves. So you know that should be a question that people ask their therapists. Like, are you also seeing a therapist? You're seeing like 30 people a week. Yeah. You should probably see somebody. Very very true. I was wondering. I know that we're talking about this nice guy sort of complex. Is there any steps that you have taken since becoming aware of like these traits to kind of like I don't know get out of it or is there anything that you have like learned from that are behaviors and habits that you want to break away from so it's it's a lot of it was like the hard thing for me was I always even though I was like this nice guy or something like that I always saw myself as the victim mm -hmm. and trust me like I've been in abusive relationships I've been in bad situations but there was a part of me that was contributing to that as well and so what was helpful for me honestly to start getting out of it was a really hard realization of recognizing my own narcissism and my my own kind of negative characteristics that this isn't just me being a victim this isn't just me like oh why are all these people like being horrible towards me or something like that and realizing that me trying to be nice and me trying to keep the peace which is an effort to ultimately avoid loneliness like that's what that's all about is to avoid loneliness it was actually contributing to loneliness it was actually repelling people and so noticing that was really helpful and coming to terms with my own narcissism and stuff like that. Because what happens with the nice guy is if you're in a relationship with one, they are going to put you in little secret contracts. They're going to have like little hidden contracts that they do. A nice guy remembers every good deed that he said and did, mm -hmm. and he will bring that up later on. It'll be like, so if you're dating a nice guy, you know, they might say something like, yeah, so I don't, I don't want you going out tonight because remember that thing that I did a few weeks ago or something like that. It might be something that's like, I did this for you and I did this for you and you're going to go do this. Like, that's really shitty. And then, you know, as the partner, they're just kind of like, I just kind of want to go see my friends right. or something mm -hmm. like that. Slightly manipulative. Um, yeah. It's very, <laughs> not slightly, it's very manipulative. <laughs> and, and realizing that in myself and being like, fuck, I'm being manipulative. Like that was actually, that hurt. Like that hurt me. That realization hurt me because I was just like, I always saw myself as the nice guy. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as, you know, how could I hurt somebody? How could I do this or something like that? And it was just like how, and it was like, oh, I'm contributing to my own loneliness here and people are seeing through this bullshit. And so that was really helpful. And addressing a lot of the inner shame was really helpful as well. Growing up, oh, if somebody around me was having a bad time, was sad or depressed or angry, I would always interpret that as, oh, that's that's my fault. Mm. You know, I did that. Even though it was just had nothing to do with me, but I would always interpret it that way. And that followed me into adulthood too. Like, oh, if my, you know, if my girlfriend is upset about something or not spending time with me or, you know, something or other, it would always be like, oh, it's because I'm a piece of shit, you know, or something like that. So working through that was really hard and, but also really helpful. Like that's the hard thing. That's why a lot of guys don't go into therapy and a lot of people don't go into therapy. It's because facing shit like that is really fucking hard, but you, but the, but the benefits of doing it, you come out the other side and you feel better. I mean, I'm still working at it 
I mean, I, I just said earlier, like I'm still in it in a way, but I, I'm a firm believer. And if you're aware of something, you can change it. I think that's amazing about that. The other side is better. I think I was just thinking to myself the other day where I used to say this thing where like, I was like, oh, like up in my head used to be a really hard place to be. So I used to hate like being by myself and I was like, oh, I'm super extroverted. And I think it was just mostly because I didn't want to be alone with my own thoughts. But now I feel like now that I've gone through therapy, I'm more introverted because it's totally cool to chill with myself in my head. And that Mm -hmm. has been really a crazy shift for me because it happened slowly. Like there wasn't just one day where it happened, but it was just like putting in the work and really trying to do better. And I know we talk a lot on this podcast that if you have the ability to go to therapy, you really should. But I feel like I don't know where I would be if I just had like gone on the path I was going, which is just like a trail of destruction (laughs) without. (laughs) Yeah without looking at what I was doing. Cause I think when, especially with dating, I always was like, they were fucking assholes, but there's, it doesn't mean that that was it. There's something mm-hmm. else there that mm-hmm. I could have helped it. Like I didn't help situ- any of the situations. Like if the situations were bad, I made them worse. Yeah. And realizing yeah. that, or they were bad and I didn't leave. That was the other thing. So I feel like realizing that has been a huge game changer. I think it every time, like I try to get closure <laughs> for myself, I think of, like what you mentioned, like my own accountability in the relationship and how maybe I was also not being like my best self and how my actions impacted somebody else because I think it's very easy to like see your side and see yourself as a a victim. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like every action has a reaction and people are very different and their like way of thinking can be very distinct. And so you never know how something that you do actually is taken by somebody else. And I think that has a lot to do with communication. That has been a lot like during quarantine that I've really tried to work on myself. I'm like, I haven't been in therapy. I really want to go back. I think I'm ready to just like be like, this is what I have found about myself and this is where I want to go. But communicating has been one of the biggest things that I think like in the relationship that I am now is getting to the bottom of what I'm feeling and communicating that with my partner and letting them know where I'm at. And then if something isn't being met also putting like a time limit on something where I'm like, I'm communicating you that I have a need that needs to be met. And I don't want it to just like me communicating this to you go out into like the universe and then it never happens. So setting mm-hmm. boundaries. I don't know. You know, I'm trying. <laughs> it's 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 all the boundaries. It's all the communication and stuff like that. I know I got involved with someone for like four, four years or something like that. I was involved with this person and stuff like that. And I just know that that I would have saved myself a lot of uh, both of us, honestly, I would have saved like both of us a lot of problems had I let the boundary early on into that relationship and been like, no, thanks. Not for me. (laughs) You know, I don't like this. So, or something on those lines, but um, it just kind of kept going. And that's one of those relationships where like I had some stuff and they definitely brought some stuff to the party too. So yeah, kind of like what Ella was talking about there. We talk about relationships a lot on our podcast and we just kind of wanted to ask from Mm -hmm. kind of a therapist POV, like how do you see dating changing in 2021? And I know that you help mostly like young men, just like from a young man's perspective, what are you seeing like patterns in issues and problems in dating? Yeah, it's it's interesting. In my younger people that I see, I'm noticing kind of, you know, maybe some more in some ways, actually, I was going to say healthier, because a lot of the people that I'm seeing, and this is anecdotal, at least from my experience, is like, they're in healthy situations. Like, there's like, 
high school students that have been together for like three years. And it's just like, what? How the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, and, and they come to me and I'm just like, dude, you tell me what to do. Like, <laughs> so like, I'm noticing that and I'm just like, that's confusing. So, uh, so that's one thing I'm noticing like some healthy trends. It's not all bad, but the kind of weird stuff that I'm seeing is I'm seeing that trauma bonding is becoming a pretty big thing mm -hmm. um, in relationships, like people kind of getting together based off of, you know, mutual distress and mutual suffering in some senses. And that's not a good basis or foundation for a relationship. Um, that's really interesting. I'm noticing, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can talk about that for a long time, actually. So I'm noticing that being a thing, like people being like, like trauma bonding is one of those things where like, if you go on a date and they say like, Oh yeah, I'm 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 seeing a therapist or something like that and I have like chronic anxiety or something like that. Like that's something on a first date that probably doesn't need to be there. Um <laughs> yeah. because what they're kind of doing is what, what what we're doing in those situations and I'm guilty of it too. What they're kind of doing in that moment is waiting to see like what the response is and if they say like, "Oh yeah, I'm in therapy too" or "I'm anxious too" or whatever. So like that then it becomes like, oh, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> this person and now now we have a bond that isn't really based in any sort of real intimacy mm. it's just we have this bond of trauma basically so because uh, every we're all terrified of intimacy my god <laughs> you I know think it's, um, interesting um, that you say that because I have been on some dates where like our th just uh, saying that we've been to therapy comes out and for me I think it's more like I fear getting into relationships with people that don't know how to talk about their feelings and sometimes when someone mm -hmm. tells me that yeah. they're in therapy i'm like oh so you're at least talking about your feelings to somebody so i see it as a positive yes. but not something that's like like i don't like i don't think anyone's anxiety looks and feels the same I think a good workaround for that though is because I think like talking about like, you know, anxiety disorders, depression, mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's like third, that's like third date stuff. You know, you can have sex on the first date, but talk about trauma on the third date. Okay. <laughs> so, but, um, but like, I, I think a good workaround with that is to kind of find out if a man is connected with some sort of emotions or something like that is to just throw in the word feel into a question where it's just like, well, how do you feel about that? You know, or something like that. Well, rather than like, if he's talking about his work or something like that, like, you know, how did you find yourself in that work? Or what do you think about your job or something on those lines? Just actually throwing the word feel like, well, how do you feel about your job or something like that? Or how do you feel about that? Just like a little poke right there, just to kind of see it. it'll throw him off a little bit, but it also might be like, yeah, I feel pretty good about the job. Like it makes me feel pretty happy, you know, or something like that. Or it might just be like, uh, you know, I actually feel pretty frustrated at work sometimes. I'm trying to find something else. You know, it just like kind of gauge his response on that rather than just being like, are you in there? This is million dollar <laughs> advice, you guys. I It's interesting you say that because I just in the back of my memory remember I was talking to this guy. It was at a bar, so it wasn't really like a date. But sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, like, how do you feel about that? And I remember him being like, oh, shit, how do I feel about that? I don't really know. And I literally was like, that's a red flag. Like... <laughs> I didn't just ask you, like, yeah. tell me your trauma. I literally was like, oh, how do you feel about that? So that's very interesting. A big part of my work with men is getting them to name their emotion. It's just like, we'll be talking. I'll be like, all right, let's pause. W name the emotion that you're feeling right now. And a lot of times they'll, they'll give me something like, I feel weird or something like that. And I'm like, well, weird isn't an emotion. <laughs> so it's just like name the emotion. It's like, okay, I'm feeling nervous. All right, we're getting closer. There's an anxiety here. What about what we're talking about is making you nervous? 
you know, and we just kind of go from there. It's, it's, it's kind of like a situation of getting men more comfortable with talking about their emotions and being able to identify them. Cause most of the time men have like three emotions that they're okay with and two of them are anger. Oh. It's oh. like- <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that's a hot take. So it's because anger is very identifiable. It's worked with, but men don't like going into the what's underneath the anger, which is usually hurt, sadness, or fear. Mm-hmm. They don't like going there. By the way, this is what I struggle with with being a therapist. I feel like I'm a bummer. No, <laughs> I think <laughs> like I'm trying to be entertaining. That's You're why I, that's why so I was a comedian for so long. I'm. It's it, it, that's why I was like I, I tried to be a comedian for so long because it was just like it balanced out that kind of therapist persona, mm-hmm. like the car again wearing like mm, let's talk about feelings like it, it was cool to like get up on stage and be like ah this fucking pisses me off yeah like, <laughs> so i feel like the two the two the two personas don't always get i along. feel like it's really interesting to talk to you about men from a therapist like professional level because what you're saying clicks with me these are things that i have thought <laughs> ab- about oh, men that i have like but just from just observing men and dating men like i've observed this like cannot talk about their feelings and like they're comfortable with anger. I've thought like the trauma bonding, I haven't seen that with myself, but I'm seeing that like with young people in a really weird way, just because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know, like this new generation so crazy. And I only have had limited experience with like 13, 14 year olds, but the experience I have had, I'm like, y'all are like really open and self-aware. Like this is a lot just cause when I was 14, like I thought Juicy Couture was, fucking fashion you know what i'm saying like it's just a different world (laughs) so it's interesting talking that you talk to young men and you're seeing like a trauma bonding i think we i we went into the trauma but did you see any other trends or i'm i'm worried about a trend that i'm seeing primarily online Mm -hmm. lately which i think that there's some stalking behaviors that are kind of increasing over the past few years i think you see this with some like you know, you could argue that they're nice guy videos or something like that, but I'm noticing a trend of kind of like stalking behaviors. And I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything like this or something like that, but like <laughs> people like, you know, maybe that, that like they find you on social media or something like that and they message you where like for one reason or another, they know something about you, but you know nothing about them, oh. you know? And this is, so like, I know women who do like streaming kind of stuff, like they deal with this a lot where like there's this one-sided relationship where like they know the, the people watching them know about them but they don't know this other person exists and they'll like message them or they'll like find them in public and act like they don't know the person or something like that so yeah it's really creepy stuff i think stalking behavior is something that is uh i don't say it's on the rise but it's something that's out there you know definitely i we, i mean we yeah. all put our lives out here on the podcast and i think just with even right now because of covid everything's like online like if you want to look at someone's life you just go on instagram or facebook or wherever they're on which mm-hmm. i never really thought about that but that is creepy yeah it's creepy stuff do you think that people recognize their behavior as stalking or do you think that it's just because it's it's not creeping up behind somebody it's not following them they don't like see it as stalking Exactly. Like no one's putting on the trench coat and the fedora and like (laughs) following someone down an alley or something like that. That's not how it is now. Now it's kind of invading some, you know, private cyberspace or something like that, or just kind of demanding someone's time or attention when it's like, hey, I don't know you or something like that. So that's the kind of stuff that's kind of out there a little bit more of now. It's And no one sees themselves as a stalker, just like in the same way as any sort of in the movie, every villain thinks that they're in the right, mm. you know? <laughs> so no, 
nobody, nobody ever sees themselves as the bad guy. They're always like, well, I'm just trying to get to know them. You know, they'll rationalize it or justify mm. it somehow. Or I think we'd really get along if she gave me a shot. You know, it's that kind of crap. Oh, God. Um, but really, you just kind of got to, you got you to slow that down and be like, um, that's stalking. That's not okay. She doesn't know you. <laughs> you know. Things to Baron think about. That seems to have Things to you. think about. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just interesting, too, because... You obviously sometimes I'm like sitting here being like, yeah, maybe I'm giving people a little bit too much benefit of the doubt with the amount that they're contacting me. <laughs> and like because mm-hmm. it's like I'm kind of used to it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a trend that has that started when we were like pretty young. So it's pretty normalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Things to think about. That's something that things to think about. I don't have an answer to solve it, but there's <laughs> things to think about. <laughs> I think. uh and you know, there's always the issue of porn. Mm. Porn's just kind of out there, you know. And I, 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 I think that that's kind of something that if that's someone's introduction into intimacy, that's not a very good thing. Yeah. So I've mentioned on the podcast like a couple of times, but I stopped watching porn from um, a feminist standpoint, or actually, I guess from any standpoint, it is exploitive in nature. And then, for instance, like I, it made a lot of it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as a woman, it made me uncomfortable. And then I think also you, I can see the negative effects without like, without it, like thinking about it too much. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's, it's very much, I'm like, I watch and I'm like, see, this isn't how women talk. This isn't how women sound. This is not, I mean, every woman's different, but like it's very made for men but not in the right way. So it is a little scary to think about that. I guess when I was young, like porn was not like it was now because I we didn't have smartphones. Yeah. You know, I did like smartphones didn't become popular until like my junior, senior year. So it's like if guys wanted to watch porn, they would have to like, sl- like watch it on the family computer, which like that, that's sketchy, know, you know, like you're not, that's not all day, every day, whenever you want <laughs> yeah. it, like you got to time that out. Yeah, well, now I feel a little. I'm in my mid 30s, so <laughs> so it's just kind of like ah, back in my day, we had to find the dad's Playboy drawer and then fuck off before he got home from work. It's <laughs> it's like that's uh, yeah, I'm in my mid 30s now, so yeah. But I know the I know the vibe of just kind of being like, oh, are they awake? Are they coming in? Like you just yeah, and and then I had like the 56k dial up, which was even riskier. <laughs> it's like the slow ass yeah. internet connection. I- you had to wait for that shit to buffer. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't watch porn until college and it was short lived. I watch porn every now and then, but like it's very difficult mm-hmm. to find things that I'm into. So it's like, ugh, that just right. takes way too long right. to like try to get to something, you know? And you see stuff. I'll you use don't my imagination. See. Yeah. And then you're like, you're like, I feel like for me, like the thing that I'm just like I feel gross by what other people like. And like, I don't want to kink shame anybody, but like, there's just certain things that just don't sit right with me. Like, I have a step parent, so I feel like all this like step sibling, step parent porn is like the most popular. And for me, that's like the most uncomfy because I'm like, do you not have step siblings? Because that would make sense, maybe. But if you do, that's like fucking disturbing, you know? (laughs) 
I have a theory about the step step sibling shit. It. So I think a lot of people's first impulse is to kind of be like, "Ooh, it's taboo. it's taboo," and this is what people are thinking about and stuff like that. I I don't think that the porn industry is spending money on like peer reviewed research on kind of being <laughs> like, "What are the kinks that people are into but too afraid to kind of do?" If they do do that, um, I'd take that job because <laughs> uh, that sounds funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't think they're doing that. I think the porn industry just kind of throws stuff at the wall and sees what mm. sticks. And in a way, I think it's, 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 it's kind of the other way around where people think that like, oh, what people are into, the porn industry responds to that. I almost think it's the other way around. The porn industry makes something and then people go and take it. Mm. And then it sort of becomes its own phenomenon. I might be wrong about that. But if you look at like, the step sibling stuff or something like that. It's kind of all that's being produced. And it's where like the newer models are coming in, the younger models or something like that and stuff along those lines. And so I think that they're kind of generating this buzz around step sibling or the stepsister kind of stuff or whatever. And I think it's generated by the porn industry. It's not that the fact that we all have this like unconscious taboo desire to fuck our step siblings. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's They need to this. sell the story. You know what? That's interesting. And I feel like that sits a lot better with me, like, <laughs> to be honest. Right. I mean, most, most, most people are looking at porn because like, oh, she's hot. Like, <laughs> no one's watching it for the plot. You know, no one's being like. <laughs> <laughs> got a really good story. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my God, she's stuck in the hamper. Like, what? <laughs> How are they going to get her out of there? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm maybe I'm just thinking a little too deep into <laughs> yeah. it, ruining it for it. myself. But that's okay. It's 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 often the simplest answer. You don't have to think too deep. It's like, oh, there's like men. We're simple fucking creatures. We're just like that thing is hot. I get boner. That's it. That's where we stop. That's where we start. Like and like if it's on the screen, that's where that's where it is. We don't really think deep like about any of that stuff until it does get into some sort of like maybe some more kink stuff and fetish stuff or something like that, where maybe like power dynamics are shifted or something on those lines. So yeah, so that's 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 my two cents on it. I could be completely wrong. I don't know, like porn in recent years has kind of become, I don't know if it's because I've changed because I used to have a porn problem. Like I can be fine saying that. We could even argue that I had sex addiction at some point in my life. And so I I, I look at, I, if I watch porn right now or if I go to Pornhub right now, I think I feel similar to what, you know, you guys were talking about. Where it's just like, I'm not, this just doesn't feel right anymore. Like that's like, I'm not into this. There's like a moment like, a while ago where I was just kind of like, I feel like I'm forcing myself to like mm. this. And it's just like, and it, it was just like, I just, I'm not getting the same buzz that I used to from it. So I don't know. Thanks for sharing that. All right, Ross, do you have any final thoughts? No, I don't really have any other kind of final thoughts. I mean, I, I guess I do. I, I'm going to say that and then I'm going to talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> but the... The, the, the only thing that I guess I would say is if like, you know, if there's men in the audience, I encourage them to go talk about their feelings. I encourage them to go and explore themselves. I encourage them to go into those areas that they're, they feel they're not comfortable with because there's benefit in going into those areas where you're not comfortable. And yeah, I would just say it's okay to be scared, but don't be scared away. Go and explore those sorts of things. Go and you know, practice intimacy, you know, practice learning about yourself. And it's, 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 it's okay to kind of recognize your flaws and stuff like that, because, you know, you're going to, 
you're going to fix this. You know what? I'm going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what? Dudes, go to fucking therapy. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like I have things to think about, you know? And I, yeah. that's what I love when I we have a guest on that brings a new perspective and has things that like I can sit and marinate in my own brain about. Yeah, thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing your life and your work with us. We appreciate you for your time. And uh, yeah. No yeah, worries. Maybe we'll, we, you can come back some other time. We can go more into Tantra. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Love to. Plugs of the week. Plugs of the week. <laughs> All right. So for my plug of the week, this week goes to Paola Lagunas. She is in the Bay Area. She is an artiste. Her art style is surrealism. And you can find her stickers, prints, and lighter so much cute stuff at artepaola.com all right my plug of the week is going to be a seattle restaurant it's black owned and it's called plum bistro it's vegan usually like vegan food can be hit or miss you know but it's really really bomb and i went there and they have little like quarantine huts so you can like sit outside and be completely closed off which is really cool check them out at plum bistro all right so that was the episode we were so excited again to have ross on it is so good to have a professional agree with me you know what i'm saying (laughs) i know everyone got excited when we was at therapist they were like it's ella's therapist um no they don't want to come on the show (laughs) no 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 they're they would they let them be remain anonymous for their protection um (laughs) Anyways, Anyways. <laughs> thanks so much for listening. As always, please subscribe to our Instagram where you can find all the plugs of the weeks and other fun stuff. It's at things number four, your concern. And then our personal Instagrams, it's at Berenice DSM. And at Ella L. Tudor. And always remember to go onto Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. Make sure to subscribe and write a review. Thank you. Bye. Bye.